In order to realize the greenhouse gas reduction goals in New York's 2019 Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act, Governor Hochul has directed her environmental and energy staff to come up with a system of capping pollution emissions across the economy, charging for the right to pollute, and investing those fees into green initiatives. And while the Hochul administration is yet to finalize its so-called cap and invest plan, the Citizens Budget Commission is out with a report on how to craft a cost-effective program that's, according to them, earth and economy focused. To discuss the recommendations from the business-backed fiscal watchdog, we're joined on the Capitol Press Room by one of the report's authors, Anna Champany, Vice President for Research at the Citizens Budget Commission. Welcome to the show, Anna. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's our pleasure to have you. So for starters, why was this a topic the Citizens Budget Commission wanted to explore? We wanted to look at this because it is critical that the state maximize cost-effective approaches to meeting the ambitious greenhouse gas reduction goals that were set. And cap and invest is sort of a central component of these efforts. And from our point of view, designing the system really well is critical for it to be cost-effective and efficient to deliver the most sort of greenhouse gas reduction for the least amount of money. Yeah, those two goals of both maximizing the amount of greenhouse gas emissions that are cut while also minimizing the plan's cost to businesses and individuals would seem to be at odds with each other on their face. And environmentalists would say the cost to businesses of not implementing an ambitious plan uh, is going to be much more catastrophic or higher down the road than it is uh, maybe what you might realize now. So they would be more comfortable with, say, economic disruptions to get that higher environmental benefit. What's the sweet spot for you when it comes to the disruptions to business, the cost to business, and the environmental benefit? Is there some chart and graph that you can like point to for where things align perfectly? I wish I had that crystal ball, and I'm sure the policymakers working on this wish so as well. Um, It really does require trade-offs. There are these inherent tensions between pushing down greenhouse gas emissions, but not driving costs up to the point that they disrupt and have negative adverse effects on the state's economy. And that's sort of the focus of our report, really, that there are design elements, sort of how you structure the program that will determine how successful the state is at walking sort of this fine line and and finding that sweet spot, as you say. I think about it this way. If the costs are really excessive, businesses are going to consider leaving the state or they may not choose to locate in the state. Those costs do pass down to consumers. So it's not as if, you know, we aren't all going to feel it in our own pocketbooks when we're paying our bills and purchasing stuff. And so that could have negative economic effects for the state's growth, for its competitiveness. On the other hand, if the sort of incentives to reduce emissions aren't sort of high enough, then you're not going to have the intention, which is to use the market and to create and use this market to find the most cost effective way to do the emissions so that the companies who can reduce emissions most cheaply will be incentivized to do that, while companies that have higher costs may be able to purchase allowances and and achieve their reductions elsewhere. So the idea is to find the right balance 
so that you're sort of pushing the emissions down, but the cost increase isn't so prohibitive that you disrupt the economy. And that is a really difficult challenge for policymakers. And so we have some specific recommendations about how to achieve that. Well, yeah, you just referenced the idea of emission leakage, where basically emissions that once emanated from New York are simply moved outside of the state's borders. So what would be in a cap-and-invest plan that could potentially limit the possibility of emission leakage? Uh, well, there are a few ways. One of the, the ideas that we suggest is you want broad coverage of the economy. So the idea in creating the market and doing economy-wide emissions reductions is that for certain sectors, it's easier to reduce emissions than others. And the broader your scope is, the bigger the pool of emitters that are being asked to reduce their emissions, sort of the more opportunity to identify cost-effective ways to do it. So that's one of it. You want broad sectoral coverage. You could also do sort of broader geographic scope. Now, this is a New York state program, but California, Washington, Quebec, and in our neighbor to the north, they all have cap and invest programs that they are linking so that in essence, they make their geography larger even and sort of diversify the economies because each one of these areas is different. So the other part of our recommendation, another area that way that you could do this would be to design a system in New York that is conducive and possible to link into the other systems that already exist in North America. So I've seen some environmentalists express concerns with linking specifically with the climate initiative that California is a, a part of. Do you think we need to design our program with the idea of specifically linking with that initiative? Or do we need to set up something that just in the future, say, maybe regional states or other interested parties could just link up with our system? I think you want to have flexibility. I don't think you have to say we're going to design a system so that we can link with this one other one. But I think you want to, you know, think about choices that you make in your design that will make future linkages to California or to other places easier to do. You're right. There may be other cap and invests that come after New York that we want to participate in. New York, in fact, is part of a regional system called Reggie that is uh, focused just on electric generation, but it includes uh, you know, a number of states in the Northeast. So there are quite a few different ways to think about geographic scope expansion. And I think it's just something that needs to be on the, the mind of the policymakers so that we have that flexibility one of the, the lessons learned from the other states that have done this is that you have to sort of be willing to collect data, monitor the program, and adjust as necessary. Policymakers will do what they can to come up with the right set of policy choices at the start, but this is the first time we're doing it this way in New York, and we might be right on some things, not on others, and we have to really be sort of tuned in and focused on collecting data, evaluating how well it's working, evaluating what the impacts are both on consumers and businesses and the state's economy, and then adjusting and fine-tuning as needed. Well, I want to talk a little bit more about linkage, but first, let me reintroduce you for listeners just joining us. This is the Capitol Press Room, and we're speaking with Anna Champany, Vice President for Research at the Citizens Budget Commission, which has issued recommendations on what the state's cap and invest plan should look like. One of the 
things that makes New York a bit of an outlier in the fight against climate change is our accounting standards for certain greenhouse gases like methane. And there was a push by the Hochul administration earlier this year to change that standard. Ultimately, that move was stopped by environmentalists who like the current standard. Do you think we need to change the standard or or weaken it, as environmentalists would say, so that we are in line with what other states and governments are doing if we want to provide for an opportunity to link up our cap and invest plan with other regional areas? Our report doesn't really delve into the two and doing any sort of analytic comparison. So we don't have an endorsement of one or the other. Our main point is that this is one of the key factors that could make linkage easier or not easier. Some have suggested even if we don't change the method, we might still be able to pursue linkage. It would be a little bit more difficult. So um, I think it's one of the areas that we feel should be explored and considered very carefully as the program is being crafted, but we didn't sort of endorse one or another of the two methods. The Hochul administration made a choice in calling their program cap and invest as opposed to cap and trade, which I think is language that a lot of people are familiar with because it's been kicking around for decades now. This indicates, though, that they don't want necessarily to have a system of a secondary market uh, for polluters to utilize. Do you think there needs to be an explicit ability to trade pollution allowances amongst different industries? We feel strongly that trading is a, is a really important component of a cap and trade or cap and invest system because it creates more flexibility for the firms that are being asked to comply. Part of it is that it's important to offer sort of multiple options for compliance to companies where they can then figure out what is the most cost effective sort of route for them to meet their needs. If you don't allow trading, what companies will do is that there's more uncertainty about how much they can reduce their emissions. They may be tempted then to buy more allowances or to bid for more allowances, which would drive up the price, but not get you any greater emissions reductions. You would just be having a a higher cost, which could be more economically disruptive. And then it also sort of constrains them if, for example, they are wrong. What if, you know, a company thinks they can implement a system and reduce their emissions 20%, but in fact, they only get a 15% reduction. Now they have no opportunity to buy an allowance from another company that may be miscalculated the other way. And the, the trading between firms and that secondary market is a really critical part of a cap and trade system or a cap and invest system if you want to really maximize finding the cost effective emissions reductions across the entire economy. If you don't trade, you're not sort of leveraging that part of the market and the ability of firms to uh, interact with each other. In webinars this summer, the Hochul administration has made it pretty clear that they're sensitive to the needs of so-called energy-intensive and trade-exposed industries, uh, which might, as a result of those concerns, get a dedicated source uh, of additional allowances. Does that make sense to you? And what should it take to fall under that special class of industries? Because I have to uh, imagine everyone and their mother would be clamoring to get some sort of special carve-out. I think there is a need to think about how to address these energy-intensive industries. 
for whom compliance costs can be very high or who are very susceptible to consumers shifting to alternatives to businesses outside the region competing with them who have sort of less of an ability to, to absorb the cost of reducing their emissions. And we do sort of mention some opportunities, including providing some free offsets to those uh, firms. I think the question of how to, to set the limit is is very good. And we don't directly address that in the report, but I would say you want to try to keep it narrow. I mean, part of it is you that the auction and, and that process is an important part of having a cap and invest system work well. So I think you don't want to sort of have an overly broad definition. You want to really target the sections of the economy that you think are most at risk. And then it goes back to the earlier point I made. You want to collect the data, evaluate it, analyze it and adjust it if you need to going forward. Um, some of the you know early examples or, or early cases from the European Union that we cite in our paper found that if you distributed the allowances for free, sometimes companies would still pass on the cost to the consumer of doing the the you know of, of emissions reductions, but then keep the benefit of the allowance. Um, so I think that is also a risk that you want to be aware of and focus on really targeting the small set of industries that you think are most at risk for economic disruption from the system. Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. We've been speaking with Anna Champany. They're the vice president for research at the business-backed fiscal watchdog, the Citizens Budget Commission, which has issued a report on the shape of the state's cap and invest plan. Anna, thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Support for the Capitol Press Room provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State union strong. Visit unionstrongny.org for more information. Join us again for Capitol Press Room, a production of WCNY Connected, Syracuse.